Hello, and welcome to Sounds Heal Podcast. I am your host, Natalie Brown, and thank you so much for joining me as we continue to explore the fields of sound therapy, sound healing, and generally the use of sound for health and wellness. Today, our guest is Jason Snell, who is a multidisciplinary artist, and he performs electronic music with biosensors, biofeedback, uh, that then displays visually what's happening with different states of consciousness, brainwave states. And he's developed a way that you can both see uh, what's happening as well as hear, right? So this is electronic music that is created by Jason meditating and kind of shifting his awareness. So really fascinating implications of his work, uh, both understanding what's happening internally with our thoughts, brainwave states, but also as how we connect to each other and our world. So we discuss this amazing convergence of his background with music, technology, and meditation. And he also uh, you know, demonstrates and is able to play a bit of video so you can understand really how this works. So just a fascinating discussion inspiring and I I think there's just so much that can happen from this work that he's doing uh, both in education and research so I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope you enjoy it as well. This podcast is sponsored by the Ohm Shop and Spa. The Ohm Shop is located in Sarasota, Florida as well as on the web at theohmshop.com. The Ohm Shop has the country's largest showroom of crystal bowls, vibrational tools. They offer sound journey, sound meditations there in Sarasota. They have a luxury spa, but there's also so many resources through their website as well. And they are an excellent resource if you're looking to up-level your sound therapy practice and, and find some instruments that'll really work for you. So thank you so much to the Ohm Shop for their sponsorship and support of this podcast. Please enjoy this episode with Jason Snell. All right, hi Jason, and thank you so much for, for joining me for this. I'm really looking forward to learning more about you and your work. Thanks, thanks for having me, I appreciate it. Yeah, well, so, you know, uh, we'll really talk about your, your work currently, you know, the convergence of of music and technology and uh, discovering kind of what happens with the brainwave states uh, through, through shifting your, your states of awareness. But let's, let's go back and learn more about you and your background, uh, perhaps how you got into music when you were young. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I know kind of technology and graphic design is a, a big part of uh, kind of your progression into this as well. So just kind of give us a little bit about uh, some early influences that seem sure. to have led to what you do now. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, with the EEG project I'm working on, there are three uh, distinct threads that merged. And so I um, have a pathway with music, a pathway with technology, and then a pathway with meditation. And all of them started in my late teens. I was at the University of Iowa. And when I was 19, I got my first drum machine. Um, I had not been that involved with music before that. 
And looking back, it was because I didn't have the right instrument for me. So I was in schools with band and orchestra and just band instruments and orchestra instruments weren't appealing to me, you know, and um, I'm not a skilled singer. And so choir didn't interest me either. And so given those options, I assumed I was not a musical person. However, when I was young, I always had music playing in my head. So I would be listening to, you know, the radio or MTV. Um, and on my way to school, you know, going from class to class, I always had some sort of hook or refrain or song playing in my head. And it wasn't until I started doing the EG work, I had better perspective of why was I doing that? And one of the interesting things about music and meditation is they both increase alpha waves. And alpha waves are this real nice sweet spot in the middle of the brainwave frequency spectrum. You've got waves below alpha or below alpha, which would be theta, which is kind of a dreamy state. And then delta, which is just like straight up knocked out your body's, um, you know, you're not dreaming, your body's doing self-repair. So those are delta waves. Um, and then above alpha is uh, waking state. So you and I are in beta right now because we're awake and having a conversation. And beta can have different um, tiers. So there's like a low beta, and that's equivalent of reading a book that you enjoy. So you're awake and alert, but you're very relaxed. You're not meditating, but you know, you're pretty close to it. So it's alpha and then low beta. Mid beta is where I'd be in right now chatting with you. And then high beta is that really stressed out, like a deadline's coming, you're just panicked, you've had too much coffee. Uh, that's high beta, and that's a pretty miserable state. And then what's interesting is above high beta is the, the highest bandwidth, and that's gamma. And logically, I would think that gamma would be even more stressful than high beta. So if high beta is faster and faster frequency and is stressful, I would assume that gamma is even more stressful, but it's not. Uh, gamma is a very um, beautiful um, area. You can have uh, moments of intuition or insight, aha moments. You can have joy. Uh, so it's it's it it's a very special state, and it rides on the um, peaks and valleys of the lower ones. And the way that I conceptualize gamma that clicked for me that made sense is that high beta stress state. Is kind of like a sputtering engine. So it's like a boom, 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 boom. So it's chaotic and it's sputtery. And gamma is when the engine, like an airplane engine, becomes that pure tone. And so you go from this rough, chaotic, sputtering state and uh, frequencies, and then you move up into gamma. And it's just like boom. And that's why it's a pleasant state, even though it's a higher frequency. So it's in terms of music, it's the point where uh, rhythm, you know, like a, a, an ongoing sound becomes a tone. So anytime that you have a rhythm going faster and faster and faster, it will eventually start to cross that perceptual um, line and become a tone. And so that is beta crossing the gamma. So that's just a quick um, review of the band waves. And looking back when I was a kid, um, both meditation and both music, both meditation and music will increase alpha waves. So what I was doing when I had music going through my head, going to school and going from class to class was it was a form of self-soothing for me. You know, I had that song playing in my head because beta can be pretty stressful. You know, if my brain's in beta, 
I'm thinking about what's, you know, the homework I've got or, you know, something after school or maybe I'm stressed out about something social. And it's a, it's a, a stress state, you know, it's not pleasant. And so by having music going through my head, it allowed me to calm down and move out of that beta chaos and into that more calm, smooth alpha state. So my experience with music began in my head as opposed to actually being a composer or a singer. Um, so fast forward to when I was 19, um, I was in a techno uh, and house music scene here in Cedar Rapids, Iowa and um, saw that other people were DJing and seeing friends buy records and figure out how to mix. Um, and it wasn't until I heard my first demo tape and it was a demo tape from an artist in Chicago and it wasn't a mixtape. And so at first I was like, there's space between the songs. Like, what is this? And it was explained to me, this, he made this himself. Like he just has a drum machine and a sampler and a synthesizer in his studio in Chicago. You know, it wasn't like a big professional studio by a big record label. It was just someone with gear. And when I heard that, I realized I could do that. I could just get a drum machine and start learning. And I bought my first drum machine. I think it was at a music store in Czech Village. I forget which one it was. It was like a hundred bucks or something. It was a Yamaha RX-7. And making rhythmic loops is what my brain loves to do. And so I just spent tens then hundreds then thousands of hours, you know, making, uh, whether it was techno or drum and bass or experimental or hardcore, but just working on these rhythmic loops. I ended up breaking that drum machine by maxing out the memory, recording it all to tape and then maxing out the memory over and over. So by the time I forgot what I did with it. All the sounds were broken, like the circuitry, I think had melted or something. Um, so it just shows you how much before I moved on to my next drum machine. So that's my music thread is, is I got into music, got into electronic, I got into rhythms um, and then I've continued that. So that was 95. So it's been um, a few decades now of doing electronic music. Uh, and that has taken me into um, ambient music and doing film scores. I did film scores for uh, independent and horror films, which is kind of interesting because the sound in a horror film is like turning the motion meter, like, you know, it's cueing to the um, audience what they're supposed to feel or what they're about to feel with suspense or fear. Um, so I started to learn what sounds evoke what feelings. I know all musicians do that to a degree. You know, they feel an inspiration and try to translate that um, feeling into sounds and compositions that evoke the feeling that they're feeling inside. But something about horror film scores is so specific of, I want them to feel this feeling or this feeling or this feeling and learning that skill. Um, and then continued with music and it started to merge with some of the technology work, I would say in 20, throughout the 2010s. So, um, so that's the music thread. Uh, the technology thread was, um, I dabbled with computer programming, I think when I was 13, it was MS-DOS or it was called BASIC or something. It was so long ago, but it, I was making essentially like um, text versions of choose your own adventures. So you would like blah, blah, and you get this dialogue and you, you know, yes or no, and you know, just these like logic trees. 
um, and I start to learn more about programming and building things a little bit in college. Um, HTML was just coming up. The first time I saw HTML was in high school and started to code a little bit of it in college and then moved into, if you remember Flash. So they would always say like, update your Flash plugin. Uh, I'm still sad to this day that Flash was squashed by Apple because it was a really creative platform. And I think um, a lot of artists got a chance to dabble with coding because it was such a creative um, interface. So it was originally timeline-based and you make animations, but then they started to shift more and more over to, you could do it with code as well. So I just learned how to create small bits of code and then bigger and bigger systems, full websites, multiple websites, and then getting into app development. So it just expanded and expanded where now when I create a project for a performance or for um, a deliverable, I have all of these, um, they're called frameworks, but my library is big. So I've got all these different sources I can pull from being like, oh, I need something to output MIDI. So I grab my MIDI framework. Oh, I need a Bluetooth connection with this new headset that I've never used before. I grab my Bluetooth uh, framework. Um, I need to convert data from observatories around the world into MIDI. Okay, I'll do this like web framework and connect it with the MIDI framework and then do some of my sonification algorithms in between. So that's something that um, was part of my professional career for many years. I worked in um, interactive work with HBO, uh, then AOL, MTV, and then Condé Nast, the magazine publisher. And so that was many years in New York City through the 2000s. Um, and then the other thread, and then I'll merge them, was meditation. So when I was 19, um, I'd become friends with a lot of people my age from Fairfield, Iowa, which has a big transdell meditation uh, university in high school. And so a lot of these people I'd met through the music scene had gone through the meditation high school and some of them were in the college. And just being around them, it opened up this idea of, oh, meditation is something you can do. You know, I, I took a um, Eastern religion and philosophy class in my associates, I got my associates from Kirkwood, which is a community college in Cedar Rapids, uh, before transferring to the University of Iowa. And started to explore Buddhist ideas, Taoist ideas um, in meditation. The idea of it was there, even though I didn't start right then. So when I met these people, I just started to ask them like, what is meditation? Like, how do you do it? What is it like? And probably the best thing I heard was, um, from my friend, Jenny, she had said, a lot of days I just sit and think about like what groceries I have to buy later. You know, it kind of demystified it and realized just sitting with my eyes closed is really therapeutic and healing. It allows me to just not be in that rat race of beta waves all the time throughout the entire day. And um, just a chance now that I know is to drop into alpha. And there are, um, many times where I'm feeling stuck with a creative issue or trying to figure something out. Um, and I know, okay, now I, there's a certain willfulness or like beta strain that I feel in my head. And I'm like, now's the time for a break, like take a nap, meditate and let my brain descend from beta to alpha to theta. And usually in that process, the solution comes up. Now I have to jot it down before I fall asleep, but um, 
you know, that's, it's being in beta all the time is similar to just inhaling and never exhaling. Whereas dropping down into alpha and theta is a chance to exhale in, in a way to um, create that rhythm that is necessary for not just survival, but for creativity and um, brain health, body health. Uh, so you take these th uh, threads. Uh, so I started meditating when I was 19, uh, you know, at first just kind of experimenting uh, on my own. And then um, I think I was 20 and I was on an LSD trip with a friend and it started as a pretty bad trip. And we had watched a horror movie. We thought that would be a good idea. It was not. And um, instead, you know, when we we're done with the film, we were feeling really disconnected. We just started to focus on each other instead because we're just trying to figure out like, what is safe? Like, what is something that's solid that we can really connect with and end up being each other. And in the process of focusing on her and then realizing, oh, relationships are between people. It's not in just one person or the other person. And this type of movement or titration from me to her, to meet her, that space in between, I started to understand a technique of where I could go during meditation. So coming out of that trip, I just sat meditating for hours and knew exactly where to go and had a very profound experience with that. So that's a technique that um, now, given some of the context that I know, it feels like it's opening almost like a kundalini energy. It's a very intense opening up and down my spine type of feeling. Um, and the other days, I just sit and think about my grocery list. So all, all of it is good. Those three threads started to merge um, in the 2010s. My first experimentation was with, I used drum machines and computers and synthesizers and samplers for 95 to 15 years at that point. I was like, I want to see if I can make music in other ways. You know, I wonder if I can make music without just being a traditional composition, just writing it out in Ableton or on a sequencer. And I grabbed some of my technology progress and began to experiment with randomized algorithm generators. And essentially, that's just a computer code. Algorithm is just a fancy word for like a sequence of steps. Um, like a peanut butter jelly sandwich is made with an algorithm. You know, like you get the bread, you get the bread, peanut butter jelly, and you put it together. So that's an algorithm. Um, so I would demystify that word a little bit. And so I'd figured out these little pockets of code that could generate notes. And then you start, I would start to rein it in of like, do I want them all in the same key? Uh, do I want them to be notes right next to each other or maybe just playing chords, just experimenting with the code and seeing what it would output? How closely are those notes spaced? Are they, is it really spacious and far apart or is it a bunch of notes all at once? And just experimenting with those parameters. Um, by 2014, that randomized generator had become a music AI because it was a, it was, it was a music app that I developed. It's called Refractions. Um, and I realized I'm getting the user making the initial selections. So it's like, doo, boo, 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 boo. and then it would start looping and then create other compositions that were similar to the input of the musician. And so the more I would use that app, the more it would make music that sounded like me because it was learning what instruments I liked, what tones I liked, and kind of the density of the music that I liked. Um, 
within a couple of years, I was doing shows with that AI and it kind of felt like it was me and my robot buddy in a band. So I'd be turning the knobs, but the app would be choosing all the notes. So it was this really interesting dynamic of exploring what is human and what is technology and who is the author. Uh, and in that type of arrangement, I'd made this, I'll brag about it because I didn't make it, but it made this very beautiful album called um, How to Play Dead. And I'd submitted it to this avant-garde prestigious record label in Germany that I had wanted to be on for since the 90s. And then the AI got on it, you know? So the guy was like, oh, this is beautiful, blah, blah. This is great, it's really creative. So the AI got on this label that I hadn't been able to. And of course my name was on it because I made the AI, but it was humbling and a little alarming. Like, am I making something that's gonna put me out of work? <laughs> so uh, I moved on from AI and started working with people. And I really see uh, a lot of dangers with relying on technology too much. And so I want my work to be very human focused because I think we are much more unique and special and still a mystery uh, than technology. And I know technology can augment my experience and enhance a lot of, uh, there's a lot of creative tools that can enhance my projects and my vision, but I really want to be human focused. So. The first step was I met a dancer in Berlin and she had worked with motion sensors prior, but the motion sensor she wore controlled the lights, but she was still dancing to a musician's music. And she said, I would love it if my dance could control the music as well. Like she wanted to compose with her movement, with her body. And because I had been so used to building sequencers and having these algorithms compose, I realized oh, I could just like take the algorithm out and have her motion data trigger all the notes. You know, all that was already built. It was just changing the source to go from a computer algorithm to the motion of a dancer. And so the first bit of experimenting was figuring out what type of sensor would work best. So we started with, I think Arduino boards, which are these little circuit boards that are pretty easy to program. We did iteration with iPhones because iPhones have pretty good um, accelerometers and gyroscopes where you get the X, Y, Z and velocity data. But those are pretty slippery. So it was pretty hard to you know, tie them. Like one was on her head, one was, a lot of phones got busted by them flying across the room because she's moving, you know, she's like moving quickly. And, um, and we settled on these motion sensor wristbands called Mile, M-Y-O. They're durable, you can throw it across the room and it fits well on the wrist or you could slip it over your ankle. So I've used those for a few years now. And that introduced this idea of biomorphism or biomorphic music. And it's music that is composed by an organic source. So biomorphic is like the shape of life. And we hear biomorphic sounds all the time. So if you have wind chimes, those are biomorphic. Um, birds singing in a forest. Um, they're, they're not on a loop. It's not quantized. It's not composed. It's not in a scale. It's just these, this, or like a babble of a brook, um, the sound of a waterfall coming down, like all those things are biomorphic sources of, of sound and sometimes of visual as well. You know, if you see droplets coming down in rain and it's very entrancing 
when, when people listen to something that's biomorphic, it feels natural um, and it feels centering. Um, and it doesn't have these human-made structures of four, four time, quantization, scales, all of that. Those are structures I can put on top of the data if I need it. You know, I can do like EEG or motion sensor sets um, that end up being techno or rhythmic, but I have to filter it through these human-made structures, which want to put nature in a box and categorize it and order it and control it. But if I just play the data raw off of uh, a dancer's motion or a brain, um, it's this beautiful biomorphic sound. And so the, the dance project morphed into the EEG work based on uh, I had this lucid dream late in 2017 about make, making music based on human DNA sequences, you know, kind of looking at the sequences and transcribing them into notes. It was a very interesting dream. I woke up, I wrote it down right away, and I looked up human DNA sequences and found a website on the National Institute of Health and found a page that had all these dots. I was like, this is the sheet music that was in my dream. And uh, I took a screenshot and right at the top of it, uh, it was describing that particular sequence of human DNA. And I said, primary assembly, and that became my project name. It is so hard to find a band name or a techno name at this point. You just have to like choose half a sentence or like some made up word. Uh, and the fact that primary assembly was available, I grabbed the URL and all the handles. I was just like, it, it, it felt, the whole project feels like the universe said, hey, here's this cool dream. You have all these skills. You've meditated for 20 years. You've done technology for 20 years. And you've done music for 20 years. Merge all of these into something that has to do with making music from the body. And then very soon after I um, started transcribing those notes in Ableton, I saw it was just an Instagram ad for uh, a Muse headset. Here's one of them. So it's a headband. It's got um, sensors in the front to read data off the forehead. And then there's these sensors here that pick up EEG signal behind the ears. So you get data from here and data from here. It also has, a, there's a little red light that shines when it's on. So it, there's a PPG sensor, which will pick up the heart rate by the flow moving through the um, blood vessels. So just with this one headband, I can get brain and heart data. Um, so I saw an ad for one of these, I ordered it, um, uh, got it. And within 36 hours, I pulled all those frameworks I talked about. I grabbed a MIDI one, I grabbed a Bluetooth one, I grabbed a sequencer and I put on the headband and I had my synthesizer on my desk. And the first prototype was if I drop my delta waves to move into a relaxed state and have my tension drop, can it play a note on, on the synthesizer? And if it would work, this little light would turn on. I didn't even plug in the sound. I was just testing the MIDI light. So I put it on, I started the app, plugged it in. This is my very first time testing it. And I was all like, mm. <laughs> and the light went on. And that was my eureka moment of having this experience of without touching I was able to change something in my brain and it controlled a piece of technology in front of me. And it felt like magic. It felt like telekinesis. 
felt like telepathy, like telepathy with this robot or a machine, you know, to be able to control the, the commands of a motherboard in a machine that I'm not touching with my brain. That moment was so, it was such a seismic shift in realizing what could be possible that largely I stopped making techno and just completely have focused on this project and it's become my top priority. And because it's the brain and the brain is such a mystery that I don't see the bottom of it. You know, it's not like, oh, this is a six month project and then I'll like do all the things that, you know, with consciousness, there's this incredible uh, field in front of us. So that feels like that was a very long answer to a simple question, but that's how I got to where I am today. Yeah, I mean, it's really not a simple question, actually, is it? Yeah, and just everything that leads to uh, has led you on this path and development and gosh, yeah, so you're wearing this bio center, you know, sensor and it's shifting, you're shifting, you're actively, you know, it makes you really think of um, exploring your consciousness and that kind of cause and effect that happens there. There's this interplay. Um, how did you then link music to what was what was happening here and of course with with your devices um and kind of decide musically what would be heard you know and mm -hmm. make those decisions because there's a visual element of, of what people are seeing as well so how did, how did that part of it the actual like what am i going to create from this now that i've discovered this can happen and put it into kind of a, a performance? That's a great question. Um, that's one of the benefits of being both an artist and an engineer is that it's just someone who is an engineer would make it work, but not necessarily be able to think about how do I translate this into something beautiful? And that was something that was really important to me right from the get-go. Uh, I knew with the EEG, once I got it working, I could do something where I map, for example, the frequency to a tone and it's just, that's, in, that's novel for a couple of minutes, you know, if I were doing a performance in an art space or a music venue, but I'm really insist on, I want this to be as high quality music as if I were composing, you know, with my hands, but I want it to be this new genre, this new type of uh, way of making rather than you know, these traditional structures I talked about. Um, some of that experience with just being a music composer for so long with scoring films, it was about identifying what state of mind, what that would sound like, what different states would sound like, or what combinations of sounds would, would represent a mental state as I'm getting this data from the brain. And one of the questions that often comes up when um, performing with the EEG is, what am I thinking about? And in a way, that question is really limited to just the beta uh, um, range, because active thinking is all beta. You know, it's problem solving. It's like, so am I, you know, thinking about math or thinking words? All that's beta activity. And the thing is, is the brain has all these other regions. It has all these other frequencies to work with. So as I've talked with more um, neurotherapists, neuroscientists, they talk about, it's not about what you're thinking, but it's what state of mind you're in. 
you know, that's really going to indicate what the nature or the composition of electricity coming off the brain will be. So, like I said, you and I are in beta right now because we're having a conversation. So our beta is gonna have this um, biomorphic output. So usually with beta, I choose sounds that, um, it can be synthesizer sounds that are active, percolating, you know, like what does thought sound like? Particularly just like problem solving, it's just like and that the strike of those notes are based directly on the, the peaks and valleys of the different frequencies, because beta is a pretty wide range. I mentioned there was um, low, mid, and high. Um, and so as that electricity is going up and down percolating, I can translate that into this type of percolating uh, synthesizer sound. Uh, but that's just that small range. So what if I close my eyes and start to drift in meditation? what happens to my thoughts? My thoughts get quieter. And so those, those percolating synth sounds get quieter and quieter. And I start to drift, I start to sink into something that is calmer and more embracing and um, enjoyable. And so usually I choose either like a pad sound or a, a warm bass sound to come up and envelop me as I'm moving into. So I hear those thoughts getting quieter and quieter. And I feel that bass sound start to rise up as I'm like drifting into it. And by choosing sounds that feel like the mental state I'm in, it creates a biofeedback loop. So if I'm closing my eyes and I'm attempting to relax and I hear a beep, when I hit alpha state, that's gonna wake me up and interfere with that process. That's been some of the struggle with older uh, neurofeedback or biofeedback tools is the nature of the sound it still works, but the nature of the sound does interfere with the results. So by choosing sounds that, um, you know, if I want to move into a relaxed state and as I move into it, I hear more of a relaxed embracing sound, it then helps me go deeper. And so with uh, performances, I've had these experiences of, I've never experienced this at performances before, but normally with meditation, I can drop down a little bit or I can move up into like a more stimulated or ecstatic state, um, you know, depending on the type of meditation. But with this system, if I drift down and then the music meets me, then I can even go deeper and the music meets me and I can go deeper or I can ladder up into stimulation. So I've had, it was a second show I had, it was in Iowa City at um, Feed Me Weird Things, that festival. And, uh, I had forgotten I was playing a show. Like that's how deep I'd gotten into meditation. It wasn't at first, it took about 20 minutes. But I drifted and my eyes were closed and I heard the sound. And hearing my brain on larger sound systems also helps with the biofeedback and the entrainment because I'm not just hearing it, but I'm feeling those bass waves hit my body. So if I can have a signal coming back into my system through multiple senses, it multiplies or enhances or amplifies the, the biofeedback of that. So that's, I think, one of the things that people really enjoy about not just dance music or bass music, but sound baths. So if I'm in a sound bath and a gong is reverberating through the room, I'm not just hearing, it's not like hearing it on um, little Apple, you know, uh, earphones. I'm feeling, my whole body is feeling that gong, those waves going over my body. And that's a big part of the experience is that sound is 
a compression wave. It's a vibration that moves through the air and is pushing air and our bodies can feel that uh, if it's loud enough. Um, and so in the experience that uh, feed me weird things, I was feeling those bass waves hit me and I was drifting deeper and deeper. And then kind of near the end of it, um, and I'll explain the state below it, but kind of near the end of it, I opened my eyes and I was like, oh, there's people here. Like I'd, I'd gotten deep enough, not just an alpha and then underneath of that is theta. And theta is, is a dreamy state. Um, there's the phrase uh, hypnagogic. So it's the kind of a, those dream balloons. Um, so as I'm drifting asleep and those dream scenarios start to come up, you know, of being someone I'm not, being places I've never, whatever it is, you know, it's that other place of dreams. When those start to come up, that's when we are on that threshold between that relaxed alpha meditative state and then theta. Now, if someone's living a really stressed life, um, sometimes they'll just go from beta and just like crash, 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 and like fly through alpha and, and theta and just like slam into delta. And so they don't have that like gradual. So that's why some of the recommendations of doing something to unwind, you know, before you fall asleep, because it helps you get into lower beta get into alpha and then theta. So it's more of a smooth process getting down into the sleep states. Um, and with theta, one of the things I've been doing recently is uh, theta is that space. It's also highway hypnosis. So if I'm driving on the freeway and I'm like, where did the last five exits go? That's a theta state. You know, I'm just kind of thinking and moving into that. So theta also has that feeling of kind of staring off into the distance and just that vibe. <laughs> and what I found is really long reverbs um, can evoke that state. So if I'm just in my gear and I'm like, oh, I wanna try this sound, I'm really active, I'm in beta um, or alpha. Uh, um, it can have this like very engaged alpha state when I'm making music, because I'm not thinking words, I'm just thinking this sound, this sound, you know, in nonverbal. Um, but when I find those long reverbs, all of a sudden I'm like, I slow down and I'm like, I just want to listen to this reverb, just this long reverb. So in certain ambient, particularly when making it in real time, um, it's a very theta-like state. So when someone goes from that bassy, warm alpha state and drifts into theta, boom, hit those reverbs. And it's just like, you just like drift into dust. Um, so those are some of the, the changes and in, in mappings um, of, of the lower states. And on, you know, going above beta, what I'm experimenting with now is how to, what does gamma sound like? You know, these moments of insight or these moments of aha. And I was doing a test with a friend. I've got a pilot project um, program for some middle schools here in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, where sixth graders in the music program will be able to use the EJE system for a six week period. And we're curious to see what their self-reporting experience is like, what their brainwaves are doing, um, and just how impactful this type of biofeedback would be for them. Um, and I was testing it with uh, the friend that I'm coordinating with, and <laughs> we had a meeting at the middle school and like, 45 minutes or whatever. And she's like, oh, you know, I'll try this on for five minutes and hear the sounds that my brain produces. 
30 minutes later, I was like, we have to go. Like, like he had just fallen into the place and was just listening to the sounds of her brain. And what was really cool for her was she was experimenting with different visualizations and seeing what she could do to um, strike up her beta waves. And different times where she thought of something that like a really nice memory would pop up or she would have this kind of insight, she'd hear the highest note of these keys and those were mapped to the gamma. And so anytime she had this kind of aha, she would hear a boom, she'd be like, whoa, that was my thought. So it's this really cool experience of hearing something that's normally imperceivable, you know, like thought, like I can have thoughts, but no one else can hear or see it. And even I'm not really aware of it because thoughts are so constant that I'm not necessarily conscious of all these little thoughts that are coming and going. But when I'm hearing them, it gives this new layer of awareness of, oh, that's an insight. Oh, that's a, a stressful sound. Um, the other thing I do, and that's the last thing I'll, I'll mention on uh, mapping, um, uh, is that I can also pick up muscular tension. So um, with the EEGs, there are certain spikes in the data that are clearly like muscle movement or just someone holding tension in their face. Um, and I can pick up on the heart rate. So I look at those and I come up with different stress variables and then translate that into distortion of the music. So I can be in beta and kind of calm, but problem solving. So that's a nice percolation, but I can also be really stressed out. And those same notes can become really distorted because um, in general, when people first try on the system, they're like, oh, I'm going to put it on, it's going to sound like, you know, crazy, like um, noisy metal music or something. And so part of that is to, for people who feel that they have a really chaotic brain is to present that to them. So if they put it on and they genuinely are really in high beta and really stressed out, I want them to hear that. And so to be like, oh, okay, like this is where I'm at. Because if I can't reflect back to them where they're at, how do I then guide them to somewhere they wanna go? So right. you have to have that starting point. Yeah, it, it can show you, okay, if I sound like this, what can I try to then get a different result? And, you know, the device, the music, the visual then reflects that. So you can actually experience and see the results. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Like I need a mirror in order to change what I look yeah. like. You mm -hmm. know, I can kind of guess with feeling, but even that's a type of sensing. Right. Um, so having that mirror to something that's normally invisible. Yeah. There's a lot of potential there. Yeah, let's, I would love for you to show that video because this is a great opportunity for people to, to see and uh, hear what you're describing. Absolutely. Okay, so this first video will be, it's um, my first performance at uh, a small art space in Des Moines. And you'll see different lines passing over me. And it was my first iteration of how do I project uh, the brainwave on my body. Um, and also um, what you'll hear is different techno loops and my brain is controlling a few things. One is controlling the EQ, so the, the bass and the treble of it, as well as um, effects. So as I move deeper into an alpha state, the reverbs get longer and it gets more dreamy. Um, and um, I figured out there's this with the, the particular headband in the beta range. If I 
focus left or focus right, I can change the crossfader. Um, so I'm essentially DJing with my brain in this first iteration. This next um, footage is from a sound festival in Berlin, and they specifically asked it for not for it to not be musical, but rather try to do is the most direct scientific translation of brainwave activity to acoustic activity. And so what I did is took each of the signals from the brainwaves and moved them up a few octaves. Uh, most of the brainwave activity is below 20 hertz, so we can't hear it. Like delta waves are you know, 0.1 to 4 hertz, theta is like 4 to 7, alpha is 8 to 12. Those are all such low frequencies that our ears wouldn't be able to hear them. So I did, I took those frequencies and just moved them up into the audible range uh, and chose one synthesizer per um, brainwave spectrum. So alpha has its own synthesizer, theta has its own synthesizer, delta, beta, et cetera. This next piece or next footage is from uh, art space in uh, Cedar Rapids, Iowa called CSPS. Uh, it was a much bigger screen and um, it's techno again. So it's loops. And this one is different from the, the premiere performance where I was essentially DJing with my brain. At this point, I had different uh, things in the software where if I dip down into alpha, it would add a bass sound and that would start looping. And then if I move back out of it, it would remove that. So there's different ways of adding notes and removing notes from a looping sequencer. So it's this balance between my brain activity and uh, something that's rhythmic. And then um, the lights, I had asked the uh, light tech at the show 
when the blue line, so those are my brain waves in the background coming out from the center like a roar shock. Um, so the blue is alpha, red is delta, uh, purple is theta, and the um, yellow and um, light green are the higher uh, beta and um, gamma. So normally what I do is I'm looking at um, red as stress, which is actually muscle tension on the headband, and blue, which is the alpha state. So I'd ask the sound tech to turn the theater lights blue if he saw the blue line uh, become dominant, and then turn the theater lights red if he saw the red line. Because I wanted to experiment with how can I get even more type of biofeedback, um, you know, as my eyes are slightly open, I can see them basked in red or blue, as well as the acoustic um, biofeedback. This one was from a um, festival in Los Angeles, Slam Dance, DIG. Uh, it's a film festival, which has a technology and performance component. And it was at a dome in downtown Los Angeles called the Wisdom. And you've got these, I had no idea what was going on above my head, but these really wild projections were happening as I was underneath it. future plans uh, with uh, structures like that is to work with the uh, visual designers in domes where the brainwave is controlling the visuals. So this one was the visual designer was doing their own thing and I was doing my own thing. And uh, these um, the future plan is to do collaborations where all of it is generated from the body. Uh, this was um, one of the first performances of the pandemic. So it was outside um, in, a, in a park in Des Moines. And 
it was uh, the setup of it was it was a outdoor kind of like visiting a gallery so there was these two big movie screens and they want people who had been stuck inside for months to have the feeling of going to a gallery and seeing different artists art and so people parked in a drive-in style and would look at these screens as the um, uh, visual art changed and I was the performance piece of it and one of the things I was concerned about was I'm going to be sitting in the dark on a bench in front of all these cars and they don't if I just project my brain waves, like you had seen in the previous um, uh, examples, they might not know that a person is there. So they might just see these lines on the screen and hear music and not understand that this was a live EEG performance. So I thought, what can I do for the cars to be able to see me? And I thought, okay, instead of just projecting the waves on the screen, what if I project them on my body, like I did early on in my, in that premiere, but make them more dense. So they really cover my body and show, oh, there's a human form there. So what you're seeing is what was up on the screens. Um, it's different uh, brain waves. Each one is its own color being projected on my body. And the thing that really started to become an aha moment for me, the thing that did become an aha moment for me was when I, at the end, I'm moving and take the headband off and seeing how the brain waves wrap around my uh, arms um, that became really compelling to me. And then this last piece is a more refined version of that. So I'm projecting the brain waves on me. You'll see a single color. And that single color is based on my dominant brainwave state. So if I am relaxed, the waves turn blue. And if I'm stressed, they turn red. So usually they're oscillating in some sort of purple. Um, this was part of a film made by Amanda Tate. And she wanted, so this is, it's also in the pandemic. So it's just an, in, uh, my bedroom, everything is darkened out, and this really amazing camera, uh, Bruce Bales was the videographer, um, and he got, was able to capture the lines wrapping around my body in this really intricate way, and so I'm doing some real light motion work, almost like Tai Chi, um, so I wasn't too active to, like, interrupt the connection of the EEG, and also help me get into kind of a deeper state, because Tai Chi is something that I did in college, and then reconnected with um, with all the free time in the pandemic.
that's it. Love how that progressed and, and then evolved into including that movement. And yeah, what do you, what do you feel you learned the most from this experimentation, perhaps um, even how it changed you? Similar to that first experience, um, you know, that aha eureka moment where my brain played that first key. And then some of the experiences I've had with performance, um, I mentioned the one where I forgot where the crowd was there. Another one was at a outdoor festival up in Wisconsin, probably August of 2019. And I had this biofeedback loop happen that was unlike anything I had experienced. And with that one, it was, I was laddering up. Uh, and so I was about 25 minutes into it because it, it takes a little bit of time to get into deeper and deeper states. I started to move into deep, deep awe and ecstasy and totally sober. And just as the, these big sound waves were hitting my brain, my brain was like, I'm making those waves and those waves are passing through the air. Like my brain is doing something to control compression waves and air around me. And it started to feel so powerful and magical where it was just like, I had to feel my brain flipping back and forth between these states and these waves were hitting me that uh, I started to weep. And I've performed uh, in front of crowds since 95 and I've never wept. Um, and I thought it was, you know, it was a festival it was out in nature. And I thought, do I have to like walk away from the stage and like go cry in the woods and then come back? Like, what do I do? I've never come across this deep of a feeling during, I felt all sorts of other things, excitement, connected with the crowd, exhilarated, tired, bored, like all these different other feelings during performing, but I never wept. And I thought, I, th I think I just need to like stick with it and see what happens. So I held onto the table to try to start to ground myself because it was getting to this really elevated state of consciousness. And so, you know, was weeping and, and came down a bit. And then around 45 minutes, another cycle. And I was like, here we go. And just went with it and, and wept and sobbed. Um, and coming out of that, I felt it was similar to a trip, but without using chemicals. I felt so connected to the essence, the fabric of reality of, um, I felt like I was staring at the source of all things and that awe was hitting me. Um, and this was something I experienced through sound. You know, so it wasn't my brain creating visuals. It was something really special about hearing and feeling. It was a big sound system again. So it was feeling those waves and understanding the power of creation, the power of creativity, the power of the brain, all of those combined in this moment of biofeedback and being emotionally blown away by that experience. Um, having that, that's something that I want to develop the system in a way that other people can experience it. And so most recently I've done a series of EG performances uh, in Iowa City um, and they are experimenting with multiple people. So what happens when three people are wearing EGs and they're 
collective consciousness comes together and creates a single music composition and controls a lighting system together. And then the second iteration was having two people with EGs facing each other, looking each other in the eyes. And the music was their combined consciousness, but their, the, the coloring of the, I, each of them had their own set of DMX lights, theater lights on them. And so their independent color was based on their brain. So there was some individuation and then some uh, collective um, consciousness. And what was beautiful about that was, was my friends Ayla and Angel. Ayla has more experience in meditation. So her brain waves, her beta waves were much calmer. So you can see her alpha was high, which was the music and the getting into the uh, experience. And then there's just a drop off, this calmness going through her beta and, and gamma. And Angel's never meditated before. And she, here she is sitting on a stage in front of a bunch of people watching her meditate as one of her close friends is staring at her in the eyes. So it was very stimulating for her. So her beta and gamma waves were very active. And the aha moment with that was, I didn't expect this. So their brains were different. You know, um, Ayla was pretty calm and Angel was really stimulated. And Angel's heart rate was quite high at different times. I th the next experiment was what happens if they hold hands or what happens when they take each other's hands and put on each other's hearts. And so they were close enough and they began to do that. And I was flipping back and forth between these two screens of data showing Ayla's and I would hit the key and then I would see angels and just toggle back and forth between the, the two um, streams of data coming from their individual headsets. When they started to touch, I thought something was wrong because I was seeing the same brain waves back and forth in the toggle. Ayla's had just met, it was like an electrical circuit was completed when they started to touch that Ayla's electricity just matched angels. I thought maybe angels would move down um, and I would have to look at the data in detail if maybe it dropped some, but there was a matching. Ayla's went from very relaxed to just matching that same level of activation that um, Angel was having. And just the insights that that could bring into what it takes for people to experience the same thing at the same time. Uh, it's called synchrony in the brain. So you can have synchrony between different parts of the brain, the left brain, the right brain, the front and the back. And then you can have synchrony between people. So I, I spoke with a neurotherapist a couple of days ago and he talked about working with therapist or working with clients, uh, he was a marriage counselor and he uses uh, neurofeedback with EEGs. And this particular couple were working on an issue and they didn't even address the issue. He was just doing biofeedback with the both of them where they both would increase their alpha waves. And what they started to experience was alpha at the same time together. And they fell in love with each other again. And all the other issues just fell to the wayside. So something like that is the, the power of being able to circumvent all the thoughts and structures that we have and get to the heart and get to deeper in consciousness and realize, hey, if we just get these waves in sync, then we don't have to worry about all those other details. Like all those other things will just make sense. And so a way to address the fundamentals of issues rather than focused on all the uh, surface level bickering I think there's a lot of power in there. So um, those are some of the doors that, that this work has opened up. That's a great question. Thank you.
Yeah, that's beautiful. I mean, you know, what you've developed can really give us this understanding, you know, there might be uh, ways that we think about it, but actually hearing, feeling and seeing the effects of our states of consciousness and awareness, but also when, when connecting with others and that we can connect and, and be in sync in that way, just really, really um, inspiring. Yeah. fascinating yeah so you know what are you doing next uh, you know you've kind of shown us wow things are evolving very quickly you're involved in these different projects and i know you're um, about to start grad school so mm -hmm. what's next on the horizon for for you and and with all these projects so uh two big things one is i'm starting grad school at nyu in new york city uh it's an interactive media arts program and one of the things i'm looking forward to that is i'll be learning more about hardware so all my experiences with software, I know how to program, but I don't know how to make my own sensors. I don't know how to, just the hardware of it. And that's part of the program is learning how to get your own sensors, your own circuit boards, um, putting those together, grabbing the data. Once I get it to the software side, I, I've got decades of experience, but I don't know how to solder. I, you know, I just, it's some of those basic things with hardware um, I'm eager to learn. Uh, and the program, uh, in terms of community building, it's three intensives. And the first intensive is in New York City, the second one is in Berlin, and the third one is in Shanghai. And so being in each of those spaces and working with um, communities in each of those spaces, each of those locations, I think will be hugely um, helpful to uh, collaborators, you know, um, seeing what other people do. I was watching the, the thesis presentations of last year's, it's a one-year graduate degree. I was watching the thesis statements from last year. And this woman was using EEG, not to make music, but to control water. And it was beautiful just seeing these ripples of water synced up with um, her different brain waves. Uh, so I've reached out to her and um, just seeing people on similar paths. I, I think there's a lot of um, potential there. And then the other big thing is moving into um, fundraising and creating, um, taking this prototype that I have and finding as many different avenues where I can get it to people where it would help them in education, neurotherapy, entertainment, music production, um, schools, you know, like the pilot um, project I mentioned in Cedar Rapids. Um, They'll be October to November. And so getting something out of the lab, out of the studio and into the world. And so that's a process of uh, finding funders, uh, working with licensing, um, done quite a bit of work already and figuring out what licensing would look like, but doing the jumping through the hoops it takes to um, take something from an art project to something that can be um, shared in a lot of different industries uh, across society. So super right. mellow year coming up for me. <laughs> yeah, that's exciting. Wow. Oh my gosh. Well, how, how can we keep up with how things are ever shifting for you? You know, uh, obviously it'd be a website or YouTube. What do you, what's the best way to, to see sure. how this is all shifting? I post most regularly to my Instagram. So it's Jason J Snell, S-N-E-L-L. -L, and just the letter J for my middle name. So Jason J Snell. Uh, and then primaryassembly.com is the is where all the EEG work is. And that has links to um, YouTube and Instagram and all that. So YouTube is 
I document all my performances. Um, so the the multi EEG work I did in Iowa City recently is going to be on the uh, up on YouTube soon. Um, so it has performances, Q and A's, lectures at um, universities or festivals. So all that content is on the the YouTube channel for Primary Assembly. So cool. Yeah, I mean, it really does have so many implications in our understanding of what we're doing up here and, and actually how we can really affect ourselves and others. And I think I think you're right really about the education and research aspects of this could could be massive. And, and I mean, probably already is. I know you have a lot of interest, so I'm just really excited for you. Thank you, Natalie. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your time and for uh, joining this, this podcast episode. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks again for having me. This has been great. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Sounds Heal Podcast, sponsored by the Ohm Shop and Spa. And keep up to date with what's coming up next at soundshealstudio.com. Check things out on Facebook at Sounds Heal Studio. And you can listen to all previous podcasts, as well as music meditations, on the YouTube channel at Sounds Heal Studio. Be well and stay tuned.